0: It's Easter Sunday, church. It's a time uh, of great joy. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time for for laughter, right? For laughter. And a lot of churches, maybe uh, that's not so so okay. You know, it's maybe a little bit more reverent and, and intense. And so let's keep the laughter down. Let's focus on the resurrection. No laughing. But, but it, the resurrection is a time for laughter. Easter is a time for laughter. Because... The resurrection is the greatest practical joke that was ever made, right? (laughs) On Friday, Jesus is dead and he's buried. He's in the tomb. But on Sunday, nope, right? Uh Uh-uh, sucker. He is risen, right? He folds up his burial clothes. He walks out of that tomb. He is alive. Jesus is alive. You know, Satan thought he had won. He was like, nope, didn't win. It's the greatest practical joke ever made. Now it's Easter Sunday. On this day, we get, we get to celebrate what we celebrate and rehearse every week here in this church. Right? That Jesus lived a perfect life. That he died the death that we deserve in our place for our sins. And that he rose again in victory. That we share in that victory through faith in him. That's what we celebrate every week and that's what we celebrate today. Jesus conquered sin and death. He conquered your enemy, Satan. He conquered your sin. He conquered death. He is a conqueror. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we too are more than conquerors in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul shares this song that was sung in the early church. And the song goes a little like this. I'm not going to sing it. It goes like this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death... Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through through Jesus Christ, you and I, we have overwhelming victory. We share overwhelming victory with Jesus. No one can stand against you if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, no accusation can stand against you. It won't stick. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, absolutely nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You have overwhelming victory through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we see in our text today, uh, Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. If you turn there with me in your Bibles, it's on page 809 in the ESV Bible on your row. And if you'd stand with me, we're going to hear from God's Word Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your great plan of redemption that you set in motion before the world began, before you made us, Lord. You knew what we would do. You knew we would turn our backs on you. And you set in motion this plan to rescue us through your son, through his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you lived the life we were meant to live that we could not, that you died the death that we deserve, that you rose again victorious over sin and death. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that as you open our hearts to hear the good news of the gospel, you open our hearts to put our trust in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you save us and that you enable us to share in that victory. I pray today that you would open hearts to hear the good news of your gospel. I pray that the Christians would be reminded of the victory that they have in you. I pray that non-believers would hear the good news and come and receive Christ in faith. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. If you're just joining us uh, this week, we've been working last four weeks through a study on the 8th chapter of Romans. And throughout Romans 8, the Apostle Paul, he's shown us that those who are in Christ, we are free, right? That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He tells us that those who are in Christ, that we've been adopted into God's family. That we're no longer slaves and orphans, but we are now sons and daughters of God. We belong to Him. We've been brought into the family. He assures us that for those who are in Christ, there is a sure hope of future glory, Though we suffer now, though this life is hard and we struggle, we wrestle with sin, we wrestle with sickness, we wrestle with all kinds of suffering, that's not the end. There is hope of future glory in Jesus Christ. That one day we will be with him. That one day he will return and he will finish what he started and he will make all things new and he will make all the sad things come untrue. That's our hope. That's our hope. And in these final nine verses, Paul gives us this joyous conclusion, not only to chapter eight, but really to the entire first eight chapters of what he's been saying in the book of Romans. And he shares with us that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. He begins in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? And Paul's not asking asking this question like, what do we say now? I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm not sure. Where do we go from here? That's not how he's asking the question. He's, he's asking this question in, in a way that says, I know exactly what to say. But do you? Do you? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know the, the assurance that you have through the love of Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection? I know what to say, but do you? Do you know that today? Paul is rock solid in this assurance that through faith in Jesus Christ, he has overwhelming victory. And Paul's a guy who suffered, suffered greatly. But he is sure that none of that can take him, can take Christ away from him. None of that can take the hope of future glory that he has in Jesus away from him. Nothing can take the assurance that he is righteous in God's sight through the blood of Christ, through Christ's victory over death. He has overwhelming victory, and nothing can separate him from that. And we're going to explore this truth by looking at three questions. Three questions that Paul asks in this text. First off, if God is for us, who can be against us? Secondly, who can accuse us? And lastly, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? First question, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is the question that, that Paul asked right there in the second half of verse 31. And the question that Paul asks isn't the first part of that clause, right? If God is for us, he's not asking like, well, is God for us? If God is for us, that's not what he's saying, but rather his intention is to say, because God is for us, who can stand against us? Or since God is for us, who can be against us? The question isn't whether or not God is for you. If you're in Christ, it's a definite fact. It is truth. God is for you. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is for you. God is for you. He sent his son to die for you. To die that brutal death that we remembered on Good Friday. The death on the cross. He took the full cup of God's wrath in your place for your sin. Right? All of us, we turn our backs on God. We choose to go our own way. We try to be our own God. We think we know better than him. And all of us sin. We rebel against him. But God is for us. He sent his son for us to die in our place to take the penalty that we deserve. And this is beautiful. right? This is how we know that God is with us in our suffering because God knows what suffering is. God stepped into our suffering. Jesus suffered for us. He is a God who suffered every suffering that we could possibly comprehend. He owned it on the cross. He owned it. He knows what it is to suffer. And God gave up his only child, his only son for you, right? God is for you. In the cross of Christ, God gave you everything. He gave you mercy. He gave you grace. He gave you forgiveness for sin. He gave you a right standing with God. You can be reconciled into relationship with him, that you can boldly approach him in prayer. Now you don't have to cower in fear that his holiness is going to strike you down. The veil was torn in two, right? We can boldly come to the throne of God in prayer. God has given us everything through the cross of Christ. How would he then leave you to be destroyed by any trial that you might face? By any foe that would come against you? By any suffering? Any struggle with sin? He wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. He gave up his son for you. How will he not graciously give you all things? And that's not the all things that you want. This isn't your best life now. This isn't like you will always be healthy and wealthy and everything will go exactly the way you want it to. It's not that all things. It's all the things that you need to see, see it through to the end, to the glory that you have in Jesus Christ. It's all things that God will give you to sustain you. To not leave you, but to be with you in your suffering, to hold you up, to carry you through. That's what it's talking about. God is for you. And so, the answer to the question if God is for you, who can be against you is no one. No one. No one can stand against you and prevail, right? No trial, no suffering, no struggle can prevail against you if you are in Christ. God is with you, and he will not forget you. He will see you through. Right? In the book of Isaiah, chapter forty nine, verse fifteen, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and this verse is a little bizarre. Bear with me here, right? It says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Right? In the picture we get here is a nursing mother, right? A mother with her baby nursing her baby. And it's like she looks down and she's like, Who's that baby? Right? Where did this baby come from? I don't remember this baby. What's going on here? It's kind of silly, but but let's be honest. Do mothers forget their babies? Do do mothers do some mothers abandon babies by dumpsters? Yes. In our broken, messed up world, some mothers do that. Some forget their children. But God continues. In that verse, verse 49, chapter 49, verse 15 of Isaiah, saying, Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. For I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I will not forget you. God is for you. He has known you and loved you in advance. He has chosen you. He has pursued you by sending his son to die in your place on the cross for your sin. And he rose again victorious for you, right? He has written you on the palms of his hands. He's tattooed you on there. You're there, and it's not coming off. He will not forget you. He will not forget you. He pursued you, and he did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. You know, spare is a powerful word in verse 32. This means that God willingly... Subjected his son to the wrath of God that you deserved. To hell, literally. He subjected him to hell for your sake and mine. The cross says, God is for you and no one, nothing can stand against you. That's what it tells us. Second question. Who can accuse us? Verses 33-34. through Paul asks, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And he asks again in 34 who is to condemn? Who can accuse you? Who can accuse you? That's the question he's asking. And again the answer is no one. No one. No one can accuse you. No accusation that can be made against you if you are in Christ. No accusation will stand. No accusation will stand. In verse 33 Paul asks, "Who shall bring any charge against God's elect?" And he responds by saying, "It is God who justifies. Who can accuse God's elect? Back in verses 29 and 30, we looked at last week, if you were here with us, right, we see this unbreakable chain of salvation, that it's all God's doing from beginning to end, that we were known and loved by God in advance, that we were chosen in advance, that we were called by God through the preaching of the gospel, that we were justified, that is, we were made right with God, that we were counted righteous before a holy God through the cross of Jesus Christ, and that we will be glorified with Jesus when he returns. In other words, God knew you, he loved you, he pursued you, and he rescued you through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And it's all his doing. It's all God. He is the one who justifies. On the cross, this great exchange takes place, right, where Jesus takes your sin. And not only does he die for your sin, but he dies as your sin. He literally becomes our sin on the cross. Every lie, every act of injustice, everything you've ever done wrong, right that violated God's commandments, that went against his desires. He died as your sin. He suffered and died as that. He killed it on the cross. And he makes this exchange and he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfect life, his perfect record. So that we can stand before Almighty God as clean as Jesus, righteous, forgiven, made right with God. Jesus pays your debt of sin in full. And from the cross, he shouts out, It is finished. It's done. Your debt is paid in full. Your sins are forgiven. You're made right with God. You're reconciled. And it is God who does it. It is God who justifies. He is the judge. And if he's the judge, who can overturn or challenge God's decision? That through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the verdict is now not guilty. Not guilty. No one can overturn that decision. No one. Verse 34, right? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? You know, if the question was only who is to condemn or who can accuse you, right, we could all come up with a long list of possible answers. Right? My, my own conscience, your conscience. Other people. Satan, you know, who's called the accuser. We can come up with a long list of accusations that someone might throw up against us or we might throw up against ourselves. But the good news of the gospel that we see in verse 34 is that because of Jesus, none of those accusations will stick. None of those accusations will stand. Christ Jesus is the one who died. He died in your place for your sin and they're paid in full More than that, he was raised, right? This is the truly good news. Jesus didn't just die for you, but he rose again. He conquered death, right? He is victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And you share in that victory through faith in him. And his resurrection assures us that he is victorious. It assures us that God accepts his sacrifice, that we stand forgiven, made right with God, justified. We are as clean as Jesus, and our identity is rooted in him now. No accusation, no sin defines you. Right? What you've done, your good deeds, your bad deeds, your good deeds with bad motives, that's not who you are. Your job, your vocation, that's not your identity. Right? Your identity is in Christ, son of God, daughter of God, child of God. That's who you are now. And Jesus is now at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Jesus is our advocate with the Father, right? He's he's our representative, our legal representative in the courtroom of heaven. And this doesn't mean that, that Jesus sits at God's right hand, like begging and pleading, like, oh God, please, please show them mercy. Please give them grace for what they've done. No, right? This is legal terminology. An advocate doesn't beg for mercy, Right? An advocate defends a case. They defend a case. And because of the finished work of his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus doesn't have to beg for mercy on your behalf. Right? Through through his death and resurrection, the law of God actually now demands your acquittal. It demands that you would be considered not guilty. God's law and wrath, they were satisfied by his cross. And, And now, Not only do we have God's love and mercy and grace through Jesus, but now God's law is actually on our side. And there is truly no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law demands your acquittal through the cross of Christ. And what this means is is that any accusation that you can think of, or that anyone else can throw your way, or that Satan would put in your mind, every every lie that you've ever told, every act of injustice you've committed, every, every time that you've lashed out in anger, every sin that you could have done, that you've done, that could be brought up about you, Jesus now stands at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, no, I paid for that. I paid for that. This is my adopted child, forgiven, set free. Righteous, holy, spotless. Christian, there is no condemnation for you. You are in Christ and no one can accuse you. No one. Last question Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? This is the big question that that Paul addresses in verses uh, 35 and following. And how you answer this question determines how you live. How you answer this question determines how you live. Right? Can, can your suffering separate you from the love of God in Christ? Can persecution, attacks from others, separate you from the love of God in Christ? Can your circumstances, can your sin, can your struggles separate you from the love of God in Christ? Can anything anything separate you from his love and how you answer that determines how you will live and paul communicates in his in his questioning that, that by sh- and sharing a quote from the psalms in verse 35 that it is true we will suffer right that's a promise we will suffer we all suffer we will all face hardship and tragedy in one shape or another may not be the same for all of us but we all suffer we all struggle in this life of being in this period in the already but not yet, right? Already forgiven and redeemed through the cross of Christ and his resurrection, but not yet fully redeemed because Jesus isn't back yet to glorify us and resurrect us and make everything new. And so we struggle in this in-between moment. How we answer this question determines how we suffer. Will we push into Jesus in our suffering? Will we push in to the deep promises of God that He is for us, that He is with us, that He will see us through, that there is hope of future glory? Will we grieve and lament, expressing our sorrow in a way that brings honor to God, that cries out to Him, that trusts in Him that He is good even when everything else is not? Or will we think that our hardships, that our suffering... We think in them that maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Yeah. That God doesn't love me and so we will curse him. We'll turn our back on him. And we'll run from him instead of to him. Paul gives us clarity in these final verses. Can our suffering or hardship separate us from God's love? Verse 37, Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Jesus died, right? And through faith in Jesus, you are united with him in his death. Death to sin, death to your old way of just living for you. You're united in his death. And Jesus rose again. He rose again. He is alive. The tomb is empty, right? You can't go find his burial plot. He is alive. He is alive. And he conquered sin and death. And through faith in him, you share in that victory, Right? We are more than conquerors, Paul says. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we will suffer now, and, and we're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. That's what he invites us to do, right? That involves suffering. And we will suffer, but there is hope that in our suffering, that it is not the end. That that is not the last word. That there is glory. There is hope. There's a future with Jesus in eternity. And as Christ rose from the grave, glorified and victorious, he will one day return to finish the work that he has started and to make all the sad things come untrue. Putting an end once once and for all to all our pain, all our suffering, every tear, to death itself. And there will only be glory and joy with Christ and new resurrected bodies as he renews the new heavens and the new earth, and we live with him, celebrating and and just enjoying life together with him. Through Jesus, we are more than conquerors and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Paul drives us home in, in verses 38 and 39. And hear this truth today and believe it, church. Hear this truth. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's nothing. Right? Let me break this down so that it's crystal clear. If you dig into the language here, what this is saying, this word nothing is no thing you can laugh at that. No thing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God and Christ. Jesus died the death you deserve. He rose from the grave. He's alive and nothing can separate you from his love. God is a sovereign God. That means that he's in charge. He calls the shots. We may think that we do, but he is in charge, right? He knows all, he knows us and nothing can separate get in the way of his plans. It can't be thwarted. If he calls you and he rescues you and he saves you, you're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in him. He pursued you. He rescued you. At Christ's cross, he cries out, it is finished and it is finished. It is finished. You don't have to earn your salvation. You receive it as a gift of grace and nothing can take it from you. Nothing It's accomplished in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And nothing, absolutely no thing, can separate you from the love of God in Christ. No breakup. No job that you lost. No report of bad news from the doctor. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. No terrible night last Thursday when you finished off that bottle of vodka. None of your promiscuity, none of your sin, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ if you're in Him. Nothing. If you're a Christian today, this is true of you. Nothing can separate you from his love. You are more than conquerors. And in Christ, you have overwhelming victory. If you're in Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you're going through. It doesn't matter that if, if it's been a while since you've been to church. Nothing can separate you from his love. If you're in Christ, Jesus stands at the right hand of God right now. And he intercedes for you, not begging and pleading, but just simply defending his case. And he says about you, mine. You're mine. I paid for them. They're my beloved son, my beloved daughter. If you haven't responded to the gospel, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you're here today, first let me say to you, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And we'd love for you to be as much a part of this community as you would be willing to be. You can do anything that we do, right? Come to a community group. You can serve with us in the city. We would love to just be family with you and invite you to come as you are, right? Questions and all, and just be a part of this community. But I also want to make clear to you that if you're not a Christian today, Jesus stands and he invites, right? He invites you to come to him, to receive him in faith, to confess your sin and to see that Christ died for your sin. He died for you and he invites you uh, to bring your struggles, to bring your burdens to him, to lay them and cast them on him, right, to receive the gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, to know that not only did he die, but he rose again, and that he's alive, and that he's victorious, and that you can share in that victory by, by turning from your sin and turning to Christ in faith, trusting that he is the son of God. He is who he says he was, and that he died for you, and he rescued you, and that your hope is in him. Your salvation is in him. Respond today and receive that grace. You know, I was a college student when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, right? And I spent the majority of my life up till college in the early years of college, just looking for meaning, purpose, acceptance, and everything I could possibly think of. You know, I started trying to, you know, as a kid, you know, sports, that's going to be it, right? I'm going to be a superstar, except I wasn't any good. Um, so that didn't work out for me, right? So then it was not sports. Let's go with academics, all right? So let's, uh, let's be as smart as we can be. Let's, you know, graduate top of the class. Let's, uh, let's do all that. And then I got into college and drank too much and uh, bombed out one semester, and the grades were, were done, right? Um, and it was like relationships, relationships. I'll find that one. She will make all my dreams come true, and it will be perfect. And I searched and searched and searched, and got into this relationship, this relationship, and this relationship, and they were all broken and sinful, and they, they left me, right? They bailed on me and left me broken. But my friends who knew Jesus were there, and they shared the gospel with me, and I received Christ in faith, and he has never left me, right? Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. And there's accusations that I hear. There's accusations that you hear all the time, right? Man, I can't believe, Chris, the way you lashed out in anger at your kids this week just because of the game, you know, or whatever it might be. You know, I can't believe that you would do that. What kind of father are you? What kind of Christian are you? Or, Chris, I can't believe, I mean, you're kind of an idiot a lot of the time. I mean, what kind of pastor are you? You don't know what you're doing. And I hear those accusations. I hear them. But because of Jesus, I can know that that's not who I am, right? That that's not who I am. And so I can freely confess my sin. I can freely confess my selfish motivations. I can freely confess how I failed and receive grace, receive forgiveness and mercy, right? And hear who I really am in the gospel, that I'm Chris and I'm in Christ. That's who I am. I'm a son. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. I'm spotless. I'm holy. I'm righteous. And that's true for you if you're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Yeah, the good news is in Jesus, we win. We win, right? We share in his victory. He didn't stay dead, he walked out of the tomb. He even took time to fold up his burial clothes. That's how we know somebody didn't just steal his body. Like what robbers are going to take his body and like fold up the clothes neatly and leave them? It doesn't make sense. He folded up the clothes. He walked out of the tomb. He appeared to many, many witnesses. He is alive. He is victorious. And in Christ, we are more than conquerors with him. Right? Because of Jesus, we have overwhelming victory and absolutely nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. And we thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you that you pursued us, that you came, that you lived for us, that you died for us, that you rose again victorious over sin and death, that you invite us to share in that victory through faith in you. I pray pray that we would be reminded of who we are in you that we would live in light of that, that people would see Jesus in us as we go out and we love and serve this city, as we hold out the hope of the gospel to Bloomington, as we seek to be good neighbors who show mercy and grace to others, who accept others as they are, welcome them into our family and hold up the good news before them and invite them to receive the same joy and victory that we have in you, Lord. I pray that hearts would be open to your gospel today. Lives would be saved. Souls would be saved. People would come to know you and to share in that victory with you. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.